0: I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor.
1: Good morning, Celtics fans. Happy Wednesday. Sorry we missed you all on Monday. We didn't record because we wanted to wait for the playing tournament because Otherwise, we were just going to be guessing and who likes it when you guess and guess wrong because I was just personally hoping for a Cleveland win. Didn't work out that way. Celtics are playing Brooklyn on Sunday. As usual, I'm your boy Adam Taylor. And as usual, I'm joined by my homie, my compadre, my co-host in crime, Mr. Will Weir. What's popping, dude?
0: What up, Taylor gang? The playoffs are here, baby. Let's get it.
1: You know it, bro. You know it. Now, this time last year... When I was recording ready for the first round of the playoffs and we had Brooklyn, I kept sliding in Biggie Smalls' references. You know, I even cropped up like, um, cropped off a little bit of the Biggie somewhere Brooklyn at and put it in at the beginning of the episode, and it went totally under the radar. Nobody really
0: appreciated it. So, I I'm not gonna do it. it.
1: Did you appreciate it? it I do appreciate pilot. it.
0: I, I, the fact that you took that extra effort to go and put that in, and I'd love that where brooklyn at where brooklyn at if you look you over if, if, for those of you watching on youtube if you can see over my shoulder here i actually have a there's a biggie down there in the corner so you know i definitely appreciate you putting in that extra effort adam
1: i got biggie lyrics behind me over my shoulder too you see what hey. i'm saying like you know but yo i'm telling you dude like i really want to put that in one of these next episodes again because last season i, I was consigned to a loss like I, I knew it was coming but i was very much like yo if we're gonna go down we're gonna go down swinging this year i feel completely different dude like i'm yeah. completely I'm, I'm still like yo if we're gonna go down we're gonna go down swinging but i'm like there's some counter punches to be thrown here there's you know there's the floyd mayweather
0: style of basketball right oh now, you know, this you know i, I think this even trans i mean yes I, I understand the floyd mayweather reference but i think this is a heavyweight fight for especially For the first round, when you look at the star power and what's what's coming in this first round, remember, there was no Jalen Brown last year. There was no Al Horford last year. There was no Derek White. There was barely a Robert Williams and there might not be a Robert Williams this year. But even with that, this is a titanic matchup for the first round, like with these two teams. And listen, we've talked about it a bunch over the last couple of weeks, what to do with where Brooklyn, you know, may end up. And you know, the Celtics took care of their business on Sunday. Real quick, what were your thoughts on what happened on Sunday before we get into to the first round matchup? So Milwaukee sits all there, guys, essentially puts the pressure on on Boston to really choose. Cause I believe um Philly was playing the Pistons, and, and they were pretty unlikely to to lose that game on the on the last game of the season. You know, for the Celtics, it kind of the Grizzlies ended up sitting everybody, so it made it a little bit easier. But really, Milwaukee put the pressure on Boston. Like, hey, win, y'all are gonna get the two seed, and most likely get Brooklyn. We know for sure, which is why we waited to record. We know that that's the case right now, or. Y'all can try and tank that game if you want to avoid Brooklyn that bad. And you guys can go ahead and get that four seed and have to play Toronto and then not get any home court advantage moving forward in the playoffs. What did you think of that whole strategy and how it played out both from Milwaukee sitting there guys and then Boston just saying, you know what? Memphis is sitting all their guys. Milwaukee had all their guys We're playing all our guys. Let the cards fall where they may.
1: Yeah. I mean, from Boston standpoint, I get it. Like part of me was like, yo, why are you doing this when there's a route to avoid Brooklyn? And that was a very small part of me. Just like, you want the easiest route possible to a finals. But at the same time, I don't want no asterisks on Celtic success. You know, if you look at the Lakers right now, people are pointing out like, you know, they're struggling, but they won a championship like two years ago, a year and a half ago, whatever. Cool. But that, that's the biggest asterisk on any championship ever won. Do you know what I mean? Like, when i'm sitting there thinking i don't want that type of cloud hanging over Boston, and i've always been very big on if you want to be the champion you have to dislodge the best in the game and there's there's a narrative that i've kind of built in my head and i've been kind of going backwards and forwards on this i've kind of been like writing it out and seeing how 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 i can like articulate it well enough but the worst thing possible is to get an easy opportunity in the first round because you get lulled into this false sense of security. And then you move a lot. And I'm not saying Toronto is an easy, yeah, an easy out, but it's far easier than Brooklyn in terms of not having to deal with star power. But my point being is if you go through the first round, kind of unscathed, you've got this like, I think KD called it caffeine confidence yesterday when he was yeah, talking about did. Bruce Brown. And then you go into the second round and all of a sudden someone gives you a punch in the mouth and you're like, man, this is like, that reality check can really be like um, a confidence rocker. So I'm just like, yo, play Brooklyn. If you beat Brooklyn over a seven-game series or for over in six or whatever it may be, you're going to feel like everybody else in front of you is beatable. You're not going to fear anyone. Because that team is... And it's also good for kind of banishing the ghosts of last year. Also, oh, for uh, sure. Like, for me, I'm just like, yo, finish as high as you possibly can. And then deal with whoever your opponent is. Because at the end of the day, if you don't see Brooklyn now, you might have to see him in the finals. And then they've got that mentality boost because you were ducking them in, in the first round. I don't want to be accused of ducking anybody. I just don't think it's the right mentality if you're a competitor.
0: Yeah, and that and that seems like to Ime Udoka, what has been super important to this entire season, to this turnaround, has been building that culture of we are who we are. We don't care who you are. We we are who we are, and we're going to beat you, and we're going to play you the way that we want it to go down, and we're going to do it on our own terms. So I'm not surprised the the way it played out. And I think as you were we're breaking down kind of that, you know, when you have an opponent and you you get a little bit maybe. Maybe false confidence or a little bit of of that bravado. It made me think immediately of you know, ironically enough, the Kyrie Irving Celtics of you know that whole season when they couldn't quite get it right. I think we ended up with a with a four seed. I don't don't one hundred percent quote me on that. I believe it was a four seed, and I know we played uh, Indiana in the first round. And we swept them, and that whole season that team which which had an amazing amount of talent was all they talked about was don't worry about it. And and mostly Kyrie was the one talking about it, but don't worry about it. You know, playoffs come around. We got this. We'll, we'll be there. And it's like, I don't know, man, this has been a pretty rocky season. Like y'all have not been able to get together. And it's like, don't worry about it. Stop asking me questions. Ask me questions at the playoffs. And then they swept the Pacers and it was kind of like, told you what, you know, like kind of puffing your chest out. And then they lost four, one to Milwaukee in the next round. And other than the, other than winning that first game in the first half of the second game it was not close for the last three and a half games it was a beatdown from Milwaukee in that series so as you were saying that I was like yep that that is 100% something that can happen and has happened to a Celtics team in the past like I said ironically with Kyrie Irving at the head but I, I think in this scenario you know it, it was so hard to to really maneuver who you were going to play because everything was so tight in the east that at a certain point just let the cards go where they may and then you touched on this Toronto's not exactly like a, a win if you have to go play Toronto. Yeah, dude. Toronto in the first round and then you hamstring yourself with never being able to likely get home court again if you get past Toronto, you're not going to be able to get home court in the second or third round or and certainly not, you know, obviously not in the finals, but you're not going to have that advantage now. The Celtics, all they got to do is take care of business and they're guaranteed home court for at least the first two rounds, see what would happen in the conference finals. So I think that's also a major difference in that as well.
1: Yeah, I think it's huge. And like people underestimate the impacts of having home court advantage. I know I know it's discussed a lot, but I think that, you know, it's discussed as like a, a passing point, just like, oh, and there's home court advantage. Like we'll throw that in there just to mention it because it's a fact. When realistically, like, Yo, the, the, the energy of a crowd, and we were discussing this before we came. I was on just about air, to bring right? this up. Yeah. And like the energy of a crowd can really be a deciding factor in a close game. You know, when you've got 18, 20,000 people screaming, it's deafening in there. You can't hear people calling for the ball. You can't hear coverages being called out. And those, that that entire energy is behind you or against you. That has to play a part. I mean, however big or little, like, we as human beings we feed off energy like that you know you go to the club everyone's hype your hype too everyone's moody you're moody too because that energy plays a part in how yeah. your how your mentality reacts so i'm like yo that home court advantage to me is worth a six or seven game series against brooklyn and i'm not too worried about brooklyn but we'll get into that shortly
0: yeah, and just sticking on the crowd point for a minute. That was as you alluded to, that was part of our conversation when we first got on here. And I was talking about my experience last night watching the Cleveland and Brooklyn game. And you know, t- towards the end and as you're watching you kind of forget a little bit that it was a play-in or a playoff type game, even though it's it's still weird the play-in doesn't technically live in the playoffs or the regular season. I don't I don't know what the NBA what, what the point of it having its own purgatory is, but that's a different conversation. But like the crowd like towards the end You could hear about 20 people out of the 18,000 or whatever it is chanting, we want Boston. And it was really, really weak, deliciously weak. I I very much enjoyed how weak it was. And then you heard some of the MVP chants, same thing, deliciously weak, very tasty treat for me while watching that game last night. And then as I'm watching and I'm talking about this with, uh, with some people on Twitter, the Minnesota game pops on and we've talked about wrestling before it felt like a wrestling pop the way that they won the tip and they get a bucket and the first couple of buckets. And it felt like up until that first time out, it was that college atmosphere where no one's on there. No one sits down. Everyone stands up the entire time. You know, I love those atmospheres where almost they have the cameras that are, that are in like the middle of the, of the arena. And when the crowds are really into it, fans just stand up and cheer and you see little hands pop up in front of the camera. And like, the, and you, you could you can just feel that energy through the TV. It's like caffeine to your eyeballs, you know, a little shot of Red Bull right in the eyeballs while you're about to fall asleep in a West coast game. And, you know, I mean, I don't think that's the reason the T wolves ended up beating the Clippers, but it certainly is an advantage. It certainly helps to your point of energy creates energy, you know, like they're feeding off of that momentum. So when they get a run going, and that crowd is is building them up. And if you're on that other side and you have a lead or you're trying to get back and, and, and you have a, a mistake that sets the crowd off, you can't tell me no matter who you are, you can't tell me that doesn't get in your head just a little bit, just a little bit. And of course, guys like Kevin Durant, who have been through everything, you know, they're, they're going to be built for it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it might not get to them quite as much, but you get, you know, let's say a, a Bruce Brown and Nick Claxton in a spot where they fumble a ball out of bounds and they get this big pop from the crowd and they know, hey, Tatum Brown, smart, they're coming on a run right now. You can't tell me that's not going to live in those guys' heads just a little bit and give you an advantage. So, for that reason, I'm totally with everything you're saying. Go for the home court advantage. It, you know, Brooklyn versus Toronto, both were going to be tough matchups. Let's take the home court. Here we are, Adam. I'm ready for for a hell of a series, and I can't wait for it to get started.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, it's kind of like, as you just said, it gets in people's heads a little bit, you know, people jeering at you, people cheering for people that are trying to beat you. And then if you look at it from the standpoint of, well, all of a sudden, you're playing against a brick wall of noise Do you know what I'm saying? And that then comes down to how much continuity do you have within your team? How much understanding of your offense and defense do you have? Can you get by without being able to vocalize your sets? And I think Boston can. They've they've been well drilled enough that, you know, they can just flow into an offensive kind of spread, pick and roll and then kind of read and react from there. Brooklyn haven't been together most of the year. And I think that's going to be a big part when they do come up against the TD Garden crowd. So I'm excited for that too just to see guys make mistakes because I'm not cheering for it but I understand when it happens you know
0: what I'm saying Yeah so let's let's talk about real quick the play in game with 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 Cleveland and Brooklyn I'm assuming you had a chance to watch that today I know obviously with your schedule it's all it's always a little bit different. So I watched the first half last night and I
1: haven't got round to the second half yet today but I will be going back and watching it at 0.5 speed because I okay. really want to know what they do
0: yeah, it, schematically, for sure, and and that's one of the things that I think was was a little bit interesting, and and you can break down the X's and O's a, l- a little bit better than I can, so I'm not going to try and tell you that in live time I was able to sit there and and dissect it, but I mean it became very apparent that you know without without Jared Allen they just didn't have, I mean the 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 at the rim defense that's the calling card the Cleveland Cavaliers this season where they got Mobley they've got Jared Allen good luck scoring on that you could tell it just wasn't the same and so I mean listen the final score of this game was 115 to 108 and that's where mostly in control the Cavs put a scare in them at different points Darius Garland was awesome in this game He, he played out of his mind he was having an unbelievable game Evan Mobley was really solid but the thing that stood out to me is that this game was still pretty close the it was hanging in the balance and for the most part when you were watching your TV Kevin Durant was being guarded. And of course, it's a team effort when you're guarding Kevin Durant. But he was mostly being guarded by Laurie Markinen, old Rajon Rondo, and a little bit of of Karis LeVert. And what stood out to me was just, man, if you're worried about this this Nets team, just at least keep this in mind. That's not who the Celtics are throwing at Kevin Durant. Like, listen, I'm not saying we're stopping Kevin Durant. I'm not saying that we have someone putting the clamps on him. But it's not Laurie Marketing, it's not Karis Levert, and it's not Old Rondo, you know. And so that was just something that that really stood out to me is how close this game was, despite you know Kevin Durant went nine of sixteen and had eleven assists, which I want to talk about his passing in a little bit. You know, Kyrie Irving went twelve of fifteen, was just nuclear with how hot he was. Ended up scoring thirty four points, and you know this game was still hanging in the balance with three four minutes left, where the when the the Cabs were within six points, and so to me. That just screamed out like I know we're a better team than the Cavs. So, so in a weird way, despite both of Brooklyn's superstars playing, you know, very close to the top tier of their potential, made me feel really good about the Celtics series going into it. The first
1: thing I want to say before I dive into anything schematic is, if anybody wants to know about what to expect, X's and O's wise in this uh, game in this series. give some piper at half court hoops on twitter i've released a really in-depth breakdown of both teams primary offense both teams primary defense so if anything i'm about to say goes over your head or if you just kind of really want to dive into that for your own education uh, go check it out i've retweeted it it's on my twitter page somewhere i'll probably tweet it out again later because i think it was exceptional with that said KD's not getting the looks. You're right. KD is not getting the looks he was getting in the game against Cleveland. However, it doesn't matter how, how difficult you make KD shots. He's still going to hit them at a high cliff because he, that's what happens when you play Kevin Durant. Kyrie, I'm not, I'm not I'm not that concerned. Like, penetration-wise is where I'm concerned with Kyrie. You know, the Celtics this season and previous years, under two different coaches, have always shown a little bit of a an Achilles heel with dealing with guards that can penetrate and score off the dribble. That's why Ish Smith just is the Celtics killer. Do you know what I mean? Because he can get into the teeth of the defense and then pull up off the dribble. It's really hard to defend, especially when you're a switching. R- Real quick,
0: Adam, I don't want you to lose your trade at that, but. One of the first times that that we started podcasting together, you mentioned Ish Smith, the Celtic Killer, and I knew this relationship was meant to be because I've been saying that a bunch. I'm like, I don't know if people realize this because it's Ish Smith. Like, it's not really that much of like a game changer because he's on a different team every year. But every time he pops up on a different team each year, it's like, man, that guy kills us every time we play. So I just wanted to share that that I knew that this relationship was meant to be when you also acknowledge the Ish Smith Celtic Killer.
1: Well, to be fair, I think that you agreeing and me agreeing means that we were meant to podcast for eternity exactly. and Greg agrees too. I'm assuming that's what he we does. Well, we have the same about. brain.
0: So if he says something yeah. generally, I, it means I'm saying it and vice versa.
1: There we go. Then. So that's why Greg fits with us so well too. Um Getting back to what I was saying, Kyrie's penetration concerns me, but at the same time, as you said, the Cavs didn't really have much in the way of star power. Like Darius Garland is excellent. Let, let's awesome. just get that out of there. He he's awesome going to be in game, fantastic in a few years. Uh, Evan Mobley is going to be potentially a generational big man. He's going big to too. be. But he's not there right now. When I went to sleep, so the Nets went on that big run, finished the first quarter up by like 20 or something. Then the Cavs come out. Kevin Love hits a few deep threes. I thought he played quite well, to be fair. Um, you know, old Kevin Love. Rondo was actually denying Kyrie the ball for a hot minute to start that second quarter. And then the Cavs went on a bit of a run. And and then, you know, you kind of start going backwards and forwards with scoring again once the next break out of their little mini slump. But in my head, I was like, yo, if the Nets had gone slumps like this against Boston, Boston won't miss like that. Do you know what I mean? Because of the way they, they pressured the rim. The difference was that the Cavs were very happy to settle for middies and for threes. Boston won't do that they will shove that ball down your throat on every possession and the more you miss the more they'll run and you've only got nick claxton there covering the baseline and i get it he's incredibly athletic what probably one of the most athletic big men in the league not on robin not on robert williams level but still incredibly athletic you can manipulate nicholas claxton as much as you want just engage him have him draw out from the from the rim And then you've got another guy coming in weak side. You're just going to hit him for the dunk. There's going to be ways and multiple areas that the Southsets can exploit in terms of scoring. It's just to me about how well can you limit KD. Um, As I said earlier, Gibson Piper released um, a breakdown. And one of the things he put on there was the, the next one, a bunch of side actions for Durant. So that's just you've got Durant on a wing on the side of the court. Don't matter what side, it's on the side you're just going to run a dribble handoff with Durant and Durant's either going to come over and get the ball or he's going to fake collecting the handoff and then back cut you and get the dime. But once Durant gets middle, you know, comes off that handoff, curls middle, gets around the free throw line, the nail, the entire floor's in front of him. He's just going to cook you left, right, and center yep. because if you load up on him, he, he's so tall, he can just hit the pass over the top. If you sag off him, give him some space, he's going to shoot. Stunt at him, he's going to take you off the dribble, leave you behind him, maybe swing through and get the foul. Number one priority, don't let Kevin Durant get middle. If you can figure out how to do that, you're going to be in with a chance of limiting, limiting KD to 28 to 32 points, which just isn't enough. Yeah, And I, I'd have loads of confidence in me that if Durant is limited to under 40 a night, the Celtics should be winning in five or six because I just don't think the Nets have enough depth.
0: Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm with you on, on on that point. And it's funny the way you just described those those KD plays. What you can't let him do. That's essentially how they put the dagger in in the game last night. Was they got back to back possessions up six, where they ice they got they were able to get KD isolated where he could go off the dribble and hit those those daggers from about the free throw line extended. Where it doesn't matter who you are. He's too quick. He's too long. He's too big. E- even if you get what what you can consider a mildly good contest, it's an easy shot for a guy like Kevin Durant. And he he did it without without breaking a sweat and just in a moment's notice because he only shot the ball sixteen times last night he wasn't ultra aggressive and part of that was the game plan from the Cavs they were they were sending two at him and making him hit Bruce Brown on the roll who Bruce Brown led the team in nineteen shots last night so they did a pretty effective job if you're gonna say hey I don't I just don't want Kyrie and KD beating me like you know to Bruce Brown's credit he did a really nice job he had nine he had eight assists last night so like Bruce Brown did a very effective job out of that role but when needed and that's what the scary part about Kevin Durant is there's not really like I said there's no one that can stop Kevin Durant it's how do you slow him down because he's likely going to get no matter what you do he's going to get as you said 28 to 35 and that's that's you you can basically write that in every game there's not really a way to stop that it's how can you make that more difficult on him and watching that Cavs game last night, the thing that jumps out to me, and this is why I totally agree with your point about the depth of this of this Nets team, and, and last night KD plays roughly 42 minutes. And I will say I'm fully expecting KD to play 42 to 45 minutes a night every single game. And that's going to be tough. Maybe it will wear on him, but I think he's going to have to play 42 to 45 minimum because what happened was, and what will happen in the Celtics series Dominating those non Kevin Durant minutes. Because without Kevin Durant, not just offensively, but defensively as well, because he's likely right now, he's, uh, him and Bruce Brown are their two best defenders. Like there's no question about it. Those that, are their two best defenders. And KD is their, you know, Nick Claxton solid as well. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, just blow him off. But, you know, KD is vital to both their offense and defense. And so those minutes without KD is going to be where if, you know, if Steve Nash is going to take, Kevin around the court, even if it's for three minutes or four minutes, that's where the Celtics are going to need to not just win, but dominate. Cause that's going to be the major differentiator that you have that they will never be able to make up. Is that when we, when they take off their star player or their number one superstar player, we have a team that should be able to capitalize on what they put out there. With that,
1: we're going to head over to our lovely people that sponsor this show. And when we come back, I'm going to have something for you that's going to kind of agree with your point, but counter your point at the same time. So with that, we'll be back in a moment. And we're back. Did you enjoy those ads? I didn't know what they played because I zoned out. Did you enjoy them?
0: Great ads. Great great, great, great ads. Best ad reads I've heard in the game. That's what I'm saying,
1: dude. That's what I'm saying. For reference, we have no idea what was said. Um, So you're talking about, you know, you've got probably a four-minute window where KD sits, right? You know, four to six minutes. That's your window to dominate and to really build up a lead where if KD, unless KD goes nuclear, you've got enough wiggle room to kind of withstand a couple of smaller runs. Now, yesterday I came across a video on NBC Sports Boston on Twitter with Chris Mannix saying that people around Tatum have told him, obviously we don't know the validity of this, that Tatum believes he's the best player in the world right now. Look, in Tatum's head, he's the number one guy on the entire planet right now. I don't know how much I agree with that. I, I also don't know how far away he's from being true because I don't think it's too far, but I think it's far enough that you're not that guy. But if Tatum comes in, and you know, yeah, I, I like to look at this as like an like an equation. So KD, let's say, is a guaranteed thirty-five. What are we guaranteeing Tatum at? You know, is Tatum a guaranteed thirty-three?
0: Uh, I mean, it, I mean, here's the thing: twenty-eight. Yeah, I think probably – let's just cut the difference and and probably call it 30. You know, I always feel like – and this is the one – I don't think the TNT guys, especially Shaq and Chuck, always get a lot of stuff right, but this is one thing I do usually agree with Shaq on that he always points out. If you really are that star, superstar level, number one, you're going to play a few more minutes. And with those few more minutes, if you whatever you average – Points wise In the regular season, if you are a real star, you should be adding two to three points or, or th- I think he usually says like five or six. He says something absurd because he's Shaq. He doesn't understand how like normal people work. But like <laughs> you, you should, but you should be adding, you know, points to your total with the more minutes that you get as you're a star player. So I think Tatum finished around 27 points. So he should be likely at 30, at 30 points per game as he adds a couple minutes to his per game total as well. for Okay. So let's assume that, you know, on average,
1: Tatum gives you 30, KD, give, KD gives you 35. So instantly, and this is my mentality, you're at a five-point-a-game disadvantage. Now, if Tatum comes into this series like, no, I'm going to prove that I'm on KD's level and gives you, let's say, 32 or 33. So it's a very similar type of production, but, you know, Tatum's an elite rebounder at this point. His playmaking, is, in my opinion, is better than KD's. So he's going to give you a little bit more of a... I think... No, don't get me wrong. I think KD is an exceptional playmaker. I just don't think they're going to run... it. Brooklyn will run the offense through
0: KD to the level that Boston will run the offense through Tatum. Yeah. And I, I mean I think part of that's a scheme just because they they, they have like they don't have enough around KD that that yeah. that he they can do that. Where meaning that like the other team can force the ball out of KD's hands a little bit easier. And it's like, all right, go go have get the ball to Bruce Brown, get the ball to to you know, Patty Mills or or whoever it may be. Um but the only reason I, I made a face when Adam said that Tatum was a was a better playmaker than Kevin Durant, only because I feel like Kevin Durant's playmaking has, has been Going to an, to another level now. Tatum's has as well from where his was, and so it's not trying to be dismissive of of Jason Tatum's playmaking. But even last night, you know, Kevin Durant had eleven assists. He had sixteen assists in the fina- in the season finale. For the nets and this year he was averaging six assists per game and i have it here real quick over the last over the last 19 games he's averaging 7.6 assists per game so i that's the only reason why i made that face I it's just, just i like, know for me i like in my mind i'd already started to highlight how how kevin durant as great of a scorer as he is we probably don't talk about his passing enough and what he does as a point guard that's so, fair. in some ways no that's completely fair i feel like kd's And like this
1: isn't a cop out because at the end of the day, KD's making like being given lemons and making lemonade. But KD's assists come two ways. One, you send a double at him and he's just big enough to see where the open guy is. Yeah. Two, he's very good at creating offensive advantages in transition. And a lot of his assists, I'd like to find out actually how many of his assists this season Mm have came in transition because when I was watching him against Cleveland, I felt like when he's got the ball in the open floor, that's when he's most likely to make a dime. You know what I mean? Whereas Tatum, I think he's far... The reason I said he's a better playmaker is because I feel like Tatum can unlock a defense in a half-court setting after dribble. Like, he will dribble the ball and then create off of that bounce for somebody else on the weak side. And it's just apples to oranges, but I do think that Tatum's court vision is probably a little bit better in terms of being able to see the gaps in a half-court defense. That's I mean, as we're going along, what I was trying to get at was, okay, so say Tatum gets 32, three-point deficit. You then got Kyrie Irving. He's going to give you, let's say, 30. Jalen Brown gives you, let's say, 28. So now you've got uh, between a five- and seven-point deficit between your the two stars on each team. I am far more confident that the Celtics bench is going to outscore the net bench and the rest of the Celtic starters are going to outstore the rest of the Nets starters by more than seven cumulatively and every night. Yeah, I don't, you know, Bruce Brown worries me. If you remember last year, he operated as a role man, an undersized role man, and he was almost unstoppable for that series. Every time they put Brown as the role man in a pick and roll situation, Boston just didn't know what to do. Then they spammed it, if I remember correctly, with Jeff Green as well. They were running Jeff Green as the role man. On that second year, because Boston just could not stop that role. Al Horford's there this time. You think Bruce Brown's going to be rolling toward like having success as the role man against Al Horford? Because I don't. Brown might think so with what he said yesterday in the post game press conference, which was just absolutely ridiculous. Um, Never thought I'd say this, but that was a casual take. Um, You know.
0: No, I mean, I, I mean, KD agrees with you. You know, I, I don't need to back you up. KD backed you up on that. You know, KD was immediate to jump in and be like, we don't need to say that, you know, especially, and then he, he even went a step further. Is not just saying not to say that, but then saying, Horford and Tice can do very similar things to what Robert Williams does. Like it's different, but it's, it, they it can do similar things. So it was definitely, you know, and, and I don't want to get up but my guy, Bruce Brown's Boston kid right there. So I got, I got a little bit of, a little bit of side love for, for Bruce Brown, but, you know, definitely talking with the, with his chest out. What was it again? Caffeine energy is what, is what KD caffeine confidence caffeine yeah, yeah. confidence. That's what it was. And so, you know, KD as the, as the vet who, you know, Kate, K, like, listen, I don't know what people's general thoughts are on temperature check on KDR anymore, but oh, KD under I love KD as well. KD understands the landscape, KD understands the temperature check around the league, and he was very quick to come in and, and squash any of that. And so I, I think that was uh that was interesting to see play out, but you know, KD was not about to be getting into that mix. Yeah, you can imagine it in the locker room afterwards, like right, like
1: you want to give the best defense in the NBA more reason to lock us up. You want to say you can attack the best defense in the NBA and give them more fuel to fire them up, to lock you up when you're our third option. Like That's just yeah. stupid. He should have been like, yo, I'm quaking in my boots. You know, play a little bit of passer. Uh I just think that would have been a little bit more intelligent from Brook. But, you know, it's that young man energy that like, I'm going to come in and show you who's boss. I get it. I do. But my point that I've been very prolongedly making is <laughs> – In my head, the point differential between the two stars on the Nets and the two stars on Boston is going to be no more than seven points a night. You know, I think Brooklyn Stars could potentially outscore Boston Stars by around about seven points. But the rest of that rotation against the Nets rotation, those points get made up plus a positive deficit in Boston's favor. So I'm not scared, man. I'm, I'm concerned. Don't get me wrong. I'm a little bit concerned. But
0: scared? No, no, no. I'm not scared. Yeah, I mean, you always have to say, you know, with a caveat, because they have Kevin Durant, like, and yeah. Kyrie Irving's a big game player. So you have to, you have to, with a caveat, say, I'm not worried. But obviously, you know, these are two guys that, you know, especially, and this is the issue with catching them in the first round. And I've been saying this about this Nets team for a while. They're probably the scariest team in the East to play in an individual series. I would put their chances of getting out of the East very low because it's going to take Herculean efforts from, you know, KD and Kyrie every single series, every single night for them to be able to be at the level of these top tier East teams. Now, can they do it in an isolated seven game series? I think so. Can they do it over three or four series and win a championship or make a finals? I don't think so. I think that's too much. So I think that's the scary part is that we're catching them in this first series where they're as fresh as they're going to be. They just came out with the, um, the first round schedule. It's very spread out, especially over the first four games. So it's not as if they're going to be you know, feeling that weight, Kyrie's obviously very rested. He only played 20 games this year, so he's got fresher legs. And so there is that worry that, that they can, that they can carry this team, but the, the rest of the team around them versus the team the Celtics have around their two stars. It, it just feels like miles of difference, you know, and that's where, and I don't think he's going to make a difference in this series, but the Ben Simmons wild card would change this whole dynamic if he were to be healthy and would have played. Now, listen, there's reports that he may come back at some point in the first round. Are you worried about him making a difference, Adam? Let's start there. Are you worried about about Ben Simmons? Let's, Let's even take him out the first two games. Let's say he comes back maybe middle of the series at some point. Are you worried about a guy who hasn't played a single minute all year, and I know what he can be. So I know theoretically, like, like if they had like them next year with a fully ben, healthy Ben Simmons all year is pretty terrifying. And you have to put them near the top of of the favorites to to win the NBA finals. Ben Simmons this year. We don't know much about him, but how do you feel if he comes back for you know 15-20 minutes a game midway through the series? Do you think he could swing the series and be a, a major impactful player? Yes.
1: Flat out yes. Uh the reason is I don't think he's going to impact the offense at all. So let's just get that out there straight away. I think he's actually going to hinder the offense quite a little bit, especially during like the first three or four games. But the next biggest weakness right now is perimeter defense. If you bring Ben Simmons in, my brain is going to come off the bench. He's not going to walk into a starting spot. Not this year. He just doesn't have the continuity with the team, doesn't have the understanding. The biggest issue is when KD sits and you've got Kyrie, they're giving up runs. When KD sits, but Ben Simmons and Kyrie are on the floor, those runs don't happen. Where does your advantage come from at that point? You know what I mean? I don't think Ben Simmons is going to be like a complete game changer. Like having him back isn't going to propel them into an NBA championship. I don't believe that. I think that that's, if that's going to happen, it's going to happen with or without Simmons in that rotation. But I think that Ben Simmons being there, <clears throat> excuse me, really improves their defense to a point where you don't have an advantage anymore. Like they can hang with you for large amounts of time when guys are sitting. The runs that you can go on are going to be far shorter because you're you're plugging in an all-NBA defensive type player, one of the best perimeter defenders in the league with good size, good length, good athleticism. You plug that in to a team whose biggest hole is perimeter defense. That has to be a boost. I don't care. I understand the offensive side of the board is important too. Ben's, just don't let Ben Simmons play on ball. Just use him as a screener, a screener and a post-entry guy. Put him in the post, let him have post-entry passes and secondary creation. You're good. Don't ask him to do anything other than defend and facilitate. And I think he he does swing that series in Brooklyn's favor, and I think he does improve them wildly.
0: Yeah, it's I, I'm, I'm torn a little bit because, you know, in theory, I agree with everything that you said. And I even think offensive, if you put him in the role that they've been using Bruce Brown in where it's just KD's doubled and, you know, let's get Bruce Brown the role. And now you're hitting Ben Simmons on the role and he gets to dissect the defense or, you know, if he's not afraid of going to the free throw line, he can attack the hoop. Like, I do think he could play a role on offense. But, you know, you talked about this at the very beginning of the podcast, like Brooklyn hasn't been together very long. And so it's very rare that you can take someone, especially of a Ben Simmons caliber, and just kind of throw them in the mix after not having played with these guys at all. He's never played a single game with anybody on this team besides Seth Curry. That's the only guy that he has any borderline continuity with. And so there's part of me that while I agree with everything that you're saying, and I think for what he's best at, theoretically you can just go ahead and slot him in and say hey we just need you to guard Jason Tatum for like 15 minutes just guard Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and just just to give us a reprieve so that you can stop these runs like I see that vision and it worries me but also there really isn't a precedent for a guy just plopping into a major series like this after not having done anything all year and being a major impact guy and Ben Simmons you know I I don't know what to make of like you know and in, in this type of environment, You know, like with a guy who, and I'm struggling to find the right words right now because I I don't know what to make of, you know, whether he's had these mental health issues and and, and where that's at. But, you know, we saw in the playoffs that those moments really, really wore on him in Philadelphia. And so for him to come into a hostile environment, which is what it's going to be in Boston, that's partially Mm -hmm. why I said I would not expect him the first two games. If he does come back, it's probably going to be during a home game in Brooklyn. Right. Like that would make sense for his first action to be some something a little bit safer and and, you know in more confined uh in a home game for brooklyn and so i'm a little torn to think that he's going to come in and just immediately make an impact but it's not out of the realm of possibility and it's another one of those storylines within a series that is full of storylines it doesn't need any more storylines you know it's just another thing that we have to account for and i'm sure we're going to be talking about as the series goes on when can simmons come back maybe like i said the the first round schedule, pretty spread out. Maybe Robert Williams comes back. And yes, I think so. there's a really interesting dynamic right there of who's going to get their star back first. Is it Ben Simmons? Is it Rob Williams? Who gets that defensive anchor back first? And maybe, maybe that is something that swings the series, is, is who can come back first out of those two. Just used to wrestle it, just to go back to a wrestling analogy again, it's kind of
1: like one of those tag team game, matches, you know, where you've been dragged into the opponent corner and your guy <laughs> is like shaking his hand, and when you tag him, he just goes wild and takes, yeah, you know, it it feels like that. Whoever gets that tag first, whoever tags that guy in, is going to be the one to just take that front that step forward and be a bit a little bit ahead of the game, and everybody else yeah. is playing catch up. You've moved your chess piece two steps forwards. Again, I'm not saying that Ben Simmons swings the nba like he doesn't change the landscape much i just think that he plugs a very specific hole and makes things a lot more difficult um you know he's not giving you any floor spacing he's going to give you a little bit of ball handling but i think Kyrie is going to be the primary handler there i like i said i'd expect him to be an off ball screener and a post up guy just distributing the rock and if you've got an open bucket you've got an open bucket it's the defense where i think he really fixes things But again, like, you know, I'm talking about Brooklyn. The two names who I haven't mentioned, the two names that really concern me off the bench is Goran Dragic and Patty Mills. I think that those two guys are going to be difficult. You're going to have, you know, are you going to go with Derek White and put him on Dragic or are you going to ask him to pick up Mills? You know, obviously the switching plays a part. And then I feel like everything Patty Mills can give you in terms of floor spacing, you can plug and play Pritchard and get. Seventy percent of that. I, feel, I still, obviously, I'm not saying that Pritchard is seventy percent of the player Patty Mills is because Patty Mills is a proven veteran and Pritchard's mm-hmm. earning his role. But in terms of shot making ability, pick and roll scoring and stuff, I think that you know you match up quite well there. But Dragic last night looked good to me. I, I, I was watching him play in the first half of that game. Granted, I was like half asleep. i mean the game too tough. <laughs> and, the game it tough at midnight. Um, but I was like. Yo, dude, like drag. it could be a problem, you know? Like, th- you can't sleep on him just because you're old.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, th- both of them have that veteran essence in which you, they, they know big moments. They, you, like you said, you can't sleep on them. I'll be honest, I'm not too worried about them patty mills you know played pretty poorly down the stretch for if we're, if we're just being honest you know his his last you know 20 plus games or so i think he was averaging six points on some pretty poor shooting numbers he looked better last night i will say that he knocked down a couple of shots looked a little bit better Drajic looked good in the in the first half i don't think he played much at all in the 2nd half, only ended up playing just under 10 minutes so you know i i'm not as worried about mills and Drajic just because i think the more that they're playing them the more that we can take advantage of them on the offensive side of the ball and defensively, you know, they're going to cause us to, they're going to, they're going to give the nets more space, but I think that's the issue with the nets, right? Is that most of their best players that can help them to be the best version of themselves on offense, dramatically hurt them on the defensive side of the ball. And so that's why you see more minutes for, you know, Nick Claxton, Bruce Brown, not that they're bad players, but they just have so many guys that, their skill sets lean towards one side of the court. They don't have a lot of guys that are two way guys, which is really the Celtics kind of bread and butter that just about everybody, you know, maybe not a direct 50, 50 split, but it's like a 60, 40 split as far as, you know, is their game more offensive or defensive tilted? And so they have all these guys that can play two ways and you can leave them on the court, and you can use them in different lineups. Whereas for the Nets, you really got to pick and choose, what are we going for with this lineup? Are we going for offense? Are we going for defense? Because there's not many lineups they have that can just say, hey, this is our two-way lineup, that we're going ahead, and we have everything we need on the offensive end, and we have what we need on the defensive end to get stops, because that lineup just really doesn't exist for them. And I think that's another one of the big differentiators between the Celtics team and this Nets team. Yeah, there's going to be balance, and
1: I've been big on balance all year. I think you've heard me talk about that before. Like, hey, it's all well and good being first in offensive rating, but if you're down in 18th in defensive rating, you're not getting anywhere. You know, I'd much rather be 10th and 10th. Hey, or or how about 9th and 1st? I think that works pretty good, too. It works pretty good, too. It works pretty good, too, my guy. And from January 1st, it's 2nd and 1st.
0: That was just crazy. But yes, I mean that's you know, perfectly balanced. Very, very yeah. Thanos like by us. The, right the fan,
1: did you see? I think one of our last episodes was called the Thanos, um the Thanos episode. <laughs> let me let me let me check. I'm pretty sure I named it the Thanos episode. If uh, you
0: hopefully our fans are, are very okay I with did, our, our comic team, book and wrestling references. <laughs> the
1: April 8th Celtics pod the Thanos team, perfectly balanced. Perfectly
0: balanced. As all pod. things should be
1: as all things should be. However, I'm not going to snap my fingers and get rid of 50% of the people because that <laughs> would really hurt our listener base by reducing it by 50%. No, I think that, you know, we've we've waffled on and obviously there's a lot more film to watch. There's a lot more stats to learn, a lot more narratives to read between now and tip-off. And then there's going to be even more following the game and the coming games. And... But for right now, I think we can both agree that we're confident that the Celtics have the more balanced team, the, the deeper roster in terms of impactful players. And I think we can both agree that whoever gets their impact guide back in terms of Williams and Simmons could potentially become the favorite. Now, I will end on this. Brooklyn are already the odds unfaded, like slight
0: favorites in betting right now.
1: Um, that's a travesty.
0: It's that, been that, that way all year, though. I, th- I think for most of the year, they've been either second or third in Vegas odds to, yeah. to, to win the title. To win the title. In, in, to
1: put it as Stephen A. would say, we're being bamboozled, hoodwinked, led a muck. Because that's not happening, dude. Don't Come on, bamboozle. man, Adam,
0: Adam, I got, I got to stop you there, man. If you're gonna give me some Stephen A., you got to give me the Stephen A. energy to go with it as well. You can't, you can't just say we're bamboozled.
1: being bamboozled, led astray, run a muck.
0: <laughs> there it is. <laughs> See, that's what you need. If you gotta do a Stephen A., you gotta commit all the way.
1: Can you do a? You do good impressions, man. Give me a Stephen A. impression. Uh, it's in my
0: head now. I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you when you least expect it on a later podcast. It's in my ah, it, yeah. it, it, I, on the spot. I, I, I can't quite do it. But before we got here, I do. I think you kind of mentioned this in passing. So I want to. I want to just make sure we get on the record here. What's your prediction for the series? I got Celtics in seven. Celtics in seven. Okay, I got Celtics in six.
1: Yeah, boy. I think we're close. You know, I don't. I mean. Part of me just wants to really, really see the look on Kyrie Irving's face when he realizes that Boston knocked him out of the
0: playoffs in the set, game seven. When he sees his ex girlfriend walk away with the uh, with the hotter guy,
1: yeah, dude, and he's looking <laughs> back. He's got that. You got that meme. Yeah. Oh god, yeah, I think so. I think a part of me wants that. The other part of me just wants to get the series over and done with as quick as possible.
0: You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just
1: get it, get in. Get your job
0: done. I mean, that would be ideal. I just think with Kevin Durant, that's not happening. You know, we, we, happening. Saw, we, we saw what he did basically by himself against Milwaukee. Harden came back limping for those last two games. But yeah. basically from what was a game four on, KD with a, you know, subpar supporting cast took the eventual NBA champions to seven games and was, uh, what, half a shoe size away from – from moving on to the Eastern conference finals Isn't basically by himself, you know? So that's the part where it's like, I mean, that's why KD is so scary. That's why everything has to be, you know, that, that's why I don't think we can expect the series to be easy. Can't expect it to be quick. It's going to be a fight. It's going to be scary. There's going to be moments where Kevin Hart or Kevin Hart, <laughs> Kevin Durant rips your heart out. Kevin Durant, Tell you Durant very, very, very different people. Tell uh, you but Kevin Durant rips your heart out. And ultimately, man, this is, we talked about the the, the drama, the storylines. This is what the NBA and the playoffs are all about. This is a perfect, you know, a, a perfect examination of what makes the NBA so special is the series. And I can't wait for it. I was going to end on this. You know what to say about men with big
1: feet, right? The custom you NBA championships.
0: did you just come up with that or did you steal that from somewhere i just came up with it as you say i like it i I I might have
1: seen it it somewhere else and it sat in my subconscious for a while so i'm not gonna (laughs) take full come but i didn't google it or nothing like that i'm just like men with big feet custom nba championships straight facts straight facts everybody will catch you on friday hopefully i'm trying to bring in somebody that covers the net so we can do a legitimate preview where it's not all one-sided celtics bias. If not, then you're going to get a bunch of one-sided Celtics bias and you're going to be super grateful because we're super biased. Until then, actually, I think we try to be as fair as possible, to be honest. Until then, everybody, if you've enjoyed the show, make sure you share it on social media, interact with Please interact with us. It feels lonely. We, do, we see the numbers. We see that we're doing well in terms of people choosing to listen, but we don't feel the love. I want to feel the love. Where's the love, man? The Black Eyed Peas sang a song about this and it went to number one in the charts for months. So where is the love? Until then, guys and girls, stay safe, stay sassy. And what did the what was the anchor sign off before he swore? Stay
0: classy, Boston. I ain't disrespecting you hate is I ain't sweating you're repenting. Yapatest and my patience never did it for the check. I've been impressed with the-